Hello and welcome to We're Watching What? I'm your host Dana, or the BHK as I'm known, and I'm joined once again by Jackie and Matt, and we had a lot to discuss. I want to put out a lot of spoiler warnings today. We spoil a lot of things, so if you haven't seen any of the things we're talking about and are concerned about spoilers, please stop right now and then come back to us once you have actually watched those things. First off, we talk about The Mandalorian Chapter 10 in detail, so if you have not seen that, as part of our discussion, we also talk about major plot points for Rogue One and Solo, a Star Wars story. So if for some reason you have not seen those and have found your way to this podcast, go ahead and watch those first and then come back. We also watched Holidate on Netflix. So again, we go into details on that. If you have a Netflix subscription, that is free to you. And then finally, we talked about The Undoing, which is on HBO Max, though I think you can actually access it through HBO. It stars Nicole Kidman and Hugh Grant, and it's this sort of murder mystery. We watched the first three episodes so far at the time of recording, so catch up to that point. We also talk about The Sixth Sense, and I know that is such a late thing to spoil at this point, but on the whatever tiny off chance that you have not seen it and care about spoilers for it, we talk about the plot there in terms of talking about The Undoing. That is it for warnings, and without further ado, here's We're Watching What? Okay, starting off with Chapter 10 of The Mandalorian. How did we feel? Triggered and traumatized. Yeah, I'm gonna be very honest. I, <laughs> I mean, is the baby a sociopath? Is that like what we're coming to? Oh, I'm. Yeah, I mean, and I'm more. Over, I'm just very arachnophobic, so it was a lot, a lot, but a I, lot I, to I, handle. Locked that. Oh my god. That's what I was saying. Is like I'm like, and and everyone's upset about you know the babe eating these frog eggs and stuff, which of course I was sad about that because of who I am. But I'm more horrified that he went in and ate one of these alien spiders out of the egg. Like I'm, I was like, I did actually text Matt and I was like, what is happening? I hate this so much with all the spiders. Like it was, it was a lot for me. I was like screaming. I'm, I'm very afraid of spiders, but I loved the episode. Okay. Interesting. What, <laughs> why did you, no, not that that's a bad thing, but why did you love the episode? I really, I think what it was, was I really liked the horror vibe that was going on. Like it, it really, like, I mean, again, and I was afraid because I'm afraid of the of spiders, but I thought even if you weren't afraid of spiders and they had been anything else, I just thought it was done in such a way that like, it kind of felt like the first kind of horror vibe episode. I, I mean, it was very alien, like a alien yeah. the movie to me, yeah. not, oh, not alien. It for sure was. It was tense. It was like a thriller. I was like, I was like on the edge of my seat for the entirety of like when all that was happening, it was crazy. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. And I had the same reaction where I was on the edge of my seat most of the time and into it. But I will say I didn't really love that they got saved by a couple of X-Wings because it just felt weird that they would come back and save him and then not help him fix his ship before they left. Because that felt a little like, why would You're you- You're gonna already save his life, why? Like why let him just die on this planet? Like it just felt very strange. I kind of saw it as, you know, they didn't come back for him. They were looking for him the whole time because he, he ran away from them. They found him. He was about to be killed by this thing. They killed the thing. And then I kind of saw it as them kind of being like, okay, are you this, are you this person that, you know, we're hearing about and everything? And then they're deciding because he's done some things that they're happy about, they'll just like turn a blind eye and let him go. But it's kind of like a power play being like, but we got you and we could have had you. But we're gonna let you. No, but I don't. Why would you? Why would you go through that trouble and then just leave him on a planet with his broken ship? 
I feel like this is a very sort of taken from Westerns thing, right? Where it's like, okay, they're trying to show us that the galaxy is still the Wild West. There's not good and evil at this point. There is sort of a gray area of, yes, we believe in the law to a certain extent, but we are not obligated to, you know, be good Samaritans and help you out to the fullest extent. We're going to let you live. And that's like the best right. we can that's do. The, and you deserve is to let you live here. So I'm going to let you live. But like, I'm not going to sit here and like help you out because at the end of the day, he still is a criminal. You know, I, so yeah, I, I, I don't agree with it either. I found it very strange that they weren't going to, I thought they were going to help him like fuse it shut and be like, don't right. let us see you in this part of the right. quadrant again. It's so pointless if you're just going to leave him to die on some planet. I mean, it turns out he's, you know, able to take care of himself, but it, it was just felt, I don't know. It's like leaving someone in the desert with no water, but you killed the, you know, monster that was going after them. Like, okay, but. Yeah, I'm not here for it. I was like, here, we're going to save you. And this is the favor we're going to do for you because they wanted to take him in. And then they're like, oh, we found out who he is. Here's the favor we're going to do for you. But like, don't, it's not going to happen again. Like, we'll save you, but like, good luck to you. Yeah, maybe this is the extent of our graciousness. (laughs) Again, I think we're all in alignment that it was not fully logical, but. Oh, see, I actually thought it was. I liked it. I don't know. I was, I was here for it. I liked the whole kind of like, here, like, we'll do this one thing for you because you've earned that much, but like, we're not going to like help you further than that because you are still a piece of crap. You know what I mean? So it's like, I kind of, I liked it. I don't think they thought he was a piece of crap though. I think they're like, you're a, a rule breaker and we are rule about breaker. the rule. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Whether we're, you know, semantic. It, I, I don't think it makes sense to me. Like, I don't understand. It, it was very deus ex moment and then like not going all the way with it, which is sort of yeah. a bizarre choice. But yeah, I, I mean, look, I love the baby Yoda moments for sure. I felt like if we had sort of combined the plot points, because I, I agree with our comments about last week with chapter nine, that the story progression felt a little bizarre. Like there wasn't a logical reason for him to be helping with this crate dragon. Like it didn't really get him further along in his story of trying to return the child. But this one's like, oh, okay, it makes sense. The favor you are being asked to do gets you to this actual covert of Mandalorians. That's why we're going on this weird side adventure. Fine, I get it. And I feel like, if they had shown these back to back and like both of the sort of side plots had been a little bit shorter, it might've made more sense in terms of progressing the overall story. That was my only kind of thought on, again, the sort of side quest nature of this episode. I also appreciated that, you know, forgive me if I'm wrong, if I'm not remembering an instance in season one, but the first thing that's coming to mind for me that uh, instance anyway, where, you know, this frog lady that he is helping, who is also going to be helping him when he gets to where she needs to go to find her husband who knows where the Mandos are. It kind of felt, like our first almost two-parter episode because she's still with him and they're still on the way. So it kind of felt like more of a, a thread, if you will, being. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I loved, I loved that it ended without everything kind of being tied up. Um, that right. made me really happy because, you know, I love uh, continuous plots. So I was really excited about that. I think she's an interesting character too. I love that she like called him out and was like, this is not your code and this is not what you agreed to. I love when she like hijacked the robot and was like talking through the robot. And he's like, he knows to kill a robot, right? <laughs> I just have questions though. I'm like, does that mean that she understands what he's saying? I think so. And if she has, you know, if she's capable of using this robot, why not keep using the robot? <laughs> I think right. it's a Chewbacca thing, I would assume, where like she, like she can't, can't make, make the words. She needs to. Mm-hmm. So that's why. Yeah, but why wouldn't you keep using the robot? I don't, I, I kind of assume she will in the next episode. Did they, or unless it, did it get broken or something? I didn't make so much. I don't think they explained it, but it was just one of those things where I'm like, well, you've now cl- figured out how to communicate. Why don't you keep communicating? Right. <laughs> yeah, I just figured she didn't take it with her because she couldn't for some reason and it just like lives on the ship. But yeah, I didn't think that through. Did, wait, did she do it before she went to go 
in the that hospital. Was on the ship and it yeah, and it was yeah. before the, the spider stuff. Yeah, yes. I mean she probably was she probably also didn't expect him to be coming after her because she was just out there doing it innocent, like she thought innocent, like I'm just gonna go have this. Which death. is so weird. Who's like, I'm gonna go have a soak right now? <laughs> Well, she was just trying to warm up her babies, I think. Right, How did yeah. she know it was there? I'm sure there's some, you know, amphibious explanation is like, they can feel the sense of the heat. But it was just a little like, this seems yeah. like an inopportune time to be. Totally. A, yeah. a nice little, little it baby. Does. And it's also kind of like, you know, again, plot wise, it's it's very, well, inconvenient, I guess, but convenient for the, the story in the episode that, you know, we get there and, and baby Yoda breaks up one of these eggs to eat one of these spider monsters and then they all just magically start hatching <laughs> and and i guess you could say hey they sensed something and so they were like hey food whatever um because you know you you brought up the alien thing and that could be like oh yeah same there but those it's like they were sensing life forms that they could be planting eggs in so it was like oh hey we're all here like <laughs> all here let's all come out so it felt it felt a little convenient or inconvenient i said you know in that way uh, but I, I don't know. It just, it, it irked me out and I was totally just invested. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm somebody who typically I love, uh, as we talked about, I love an action sequence when there's stakes involved that mm-hmm. you care about the characters, but when it's just action for action sake, I can kind of tune out. And this was a pretty long sequence, but I was in, I think because I was scared for my life watching it. So I was just, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it just, it did it for me. And also it's a, it was fun because it was one of those situations where like, do you just give up and die? Or, because um, I think I probably would have, especially when- Oh they- yeah, the, the ship belongs to the spider now. Like in my, if I see a spider in real life, I'm just like, nope, this is your house now. <laughs> this is where you live now. I'm, yeah. He kept going, he kept trying. And honestly, he got- much further than I could have imagined. Someone he would have been okay if that big mama didn't come back at the end. You know, oh. it seems like he would have been okay. But well, it's annoying well, that they keep getting bigger. Like, come on, man, how big does this thing possibly get? I think I want to know. That's the thing. Yeah. <laughs> I thought was kind of fun, and I actually ended up looking this up because I was really like, I was sitting there and I was like, why have I seen these things before? At least I thought I had. Mm-hmm. And turns out, I, I, I had I had a book back in the nineties mm-hmm. when the re-releases were happening. That was all concept art. And, and I looked it up and felt, oh my gosh, it, like I found the clue. I'm sure you guys have heard this too, but uh, these things, I guess, were initially initially conceptualized for Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. And I remember seeing the, con- when they showed on the credits and they looked at the concept art, I just remember, I don't know if it was the same exact art or if it was like just super similar. And I was like, why have I seen this? Where is this? And it was, I, I'm guessing that was most of their words. Probably. Yeah, it's the, it's the Ralph McQuarrie art. Yeah for the yeah. original ones and that's kind of cool but <laughs> I love it but I think the one trope I am sort of tired of in not just Star Wars but any sort of science fictional or anything that involves a monster is a monster pressing its face that ends up being a mouth up against the glass and doing this thing like I just I need it to stop it's not it looks one like I feel like they're trying to demonize like female anatomy possibly and <laughs> like we've seen it so many times before how many creatures really have an evolutionary design as this you just don't need it it's it's just such an extra like shot and it honestly kind of cheapened the moment yeah for me, anything and it was all scarier before that so it's 100 I, I from a, ner- a super nerdy technical perspective i thought this episode also had such great use of practical and visual effects. And if some of those practical, that I thought were practical effects were visual, I have to like tip my cap even more sure. to the to the team because I feel like there are some of these episodes where I'm like, okay, 
you know, I can see the seams. This one, I was like, oh no, the transitions are much smoother. I, I feel like we saw a lot more puppet baby Yoda, which makes me so happy. Cause I just I I think we did. love puppets so much. I love him running to Mando. Yeah. Wow. And I was like, it's a little cheating. Cause you can sort of see the like old school yeah. kind of like, nobody can see me gesturing. Well, you two can see me because we're on video, but you know, the little like kind of hopping in the snow and you're like, that's not, you can't actually cover that much ground if your legs are as small as we think they are. But I'm okay with that it's because fine. you are adorable. Yeah. Allow it. No, and it's a good, a good point you bring up because I was going to say in chapter nine, especially even like in season one, it's there too. But some of the compositing especially is woof. Like when mm -hmm. they were on the speeders and stuff together and there, there were some shots where it was just like, ooh. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, and, and you know, no, no shade, but it's just there are sometimes some, some things where you're like, ooh. Like, that's yeah, they didn't have a small budget to begin with, but I have a feeling they have a bigger one now. I yeah. think so. And some of these things look <laughs> incredible. And then it's just like other things don't. So you're like, huh. But I agree, this episode overall kind of felt uh, more expensive than yeah. episode. Yeah. And I, or it, it might not have even been more expensive, but I think there are also certain elements and environments that play better with. CG, yeah. I just right? mean it felt more. Uh, yeah. Expensive. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, I also love that it's Peyton Reed was the director and mm -hmm. Dr. Mandible is a giant ant. I love that. I love that. Because I right when I saw that, I was like, oh, Ant-Man. Like, it was so, that was so fun. And I was like, is he actually, I mean, is he actually an ant? Probably not. Also, is his name, I think his name is truly Dr. Mandible, which I think is so ridiculous and so hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, who, in a, in a universe, again, of Obi-Wans and Qui-Gons and all of these names, and, and then a Luke and a Leia, which is, that's, I have so much beef with that, but whatever. Then you've got somebody named Dr. Mandible. <laughs> like, we're just getting more and more outlandish with it, and I love it. Yeah, no, it was it was just a good all the most outlandish parts of Star Wars universe. I'm in. Yeah, and to be honest, with Peyton Reed involved, and I guess maybe I'm just thinking mostly of Ant Man and things like that. But I kind of thought that this episode might steer more of a on a comedic route rather than I did not expect it to go more space horror, and I was pleasantly surprised. But I I might just not be as familiar. I think all the eight e yeah. e was supposed to be humorous. It just wasn't. It was more troubling. <laughs> I, was, I, I was fine with it. I understood why he was doing it, but it was just sad. Yeah, Jackie, you have ruined the word egg for me because every time I just see an egg, I just think of Shape of Water now. Oh, no. like, the monster's reaction to her having this whole fantasy sequence and the monster just goes, egg. So now anytime I see an egg, I'm just like, egg. <laughs> it's just, I... I like that Baby Yoda or the child is a carnivore. And I know I'm the most carnivorous probably of this group, but I just think it shows that, you know, we we have this weird expectation of the Jedi, I feel like, and that they're supposed to be sort of upstanding citizens. And, and it really shows that they are people before or creatures mm -hmm. or whatever it may be before they get to this. And I don't, I assume Yoda Yoda ate meat, you know? <laughs> I'm only honestly just mostly worried like, is Mando feeding him enough? Like, mm. well, that's just what seems to be happening. I mean, huh. Mando, I feel like, needs to step it up. He offered him that adorable little bento box. True. Yeah, he, I mean, apparently Baby Yoda prefers protein. Baby yeah. Yoda also clearly has a taste for frog. Like, we, yeah, we saw that early yeah. on. And I don't, I don't mind that he's a carnivore either. And I, I, it's funny because the egg thing, it made me sad, but more for the frog mom than. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, I was only worried about the frog mom. I, I yeah. mean, and it was just kind of, oh, no, you know, but it, it was more um, like I personally in season one didn't, I don't love the eating of the frog thing because it just like, I didn't think that was cute. Oh, like, I loved it whatever, so much. And I know it's become like a thing. I've even seen merch where they, you know, he's 
eating the frog and it's like people love it and I don't love that but it is an interesting point you say that because it's like we when when someone's a good guy or this and that we call our good protagonist good girl good guy we, we kind of see the trend of you know you don't see them brutalizing anything because they're just so good mm-hmm. and you know when you go to Star Wars even you look it's like Job of the Hut is like grotesque and he's eating the live you know frog things and eating this this and that and that's kind of part of his like, he's villainy you know and so it's interesting to kind yeah, of yeah but but Luke Skywalker drinks milk even if oh. it's blue it's a wholesome wholesome milk which, yeah, that was, which that's a I did not want but, and, but, but by the way like complete side revelation that I had this week I didn't realize of course of course Luke drinks milk we see him drinking blue milk as a child on Tatooine, and then I did, I never put together until very recently that that's why he's going through all this effort to drink milk as a blue milk as an adult. I was like, oh yeah, he grew up on it. Of course, it's not no. weird for him to like. Well, it's also, no. it's yeah, that was a total callback. Yeah, like, I just didn't put that together. So maybe this is this is the child being like this. Yeah, this is what I ate as a kid uh, all of two weeks ago is frogs. So now I will eat the frog eggs. This is comfort food to me. Well, I mean, what it does solidify for me, though, is that I thought Baby Yoda understood more language Mm. than they apparently do. So I thought it was more of a, like, I mean, children, sometimes your children, at least my niece, um, doesn't speak, really. But she understands everything you're saying. She just... I assume enough of what I'm saying, I guess. And so I assumed Baby Yoda was sort of at that stage where like not really talking, but basically understands language around them. And now I'm kind of thinking not. Oh, interesting. I didn't really think that. I kind of thought he still understood, just didn't give enough. Yeah, I I, I took it more in the direction of- I want to eat this. Yeah, they know it's bad, but is it really bad? Like, what if I just have one more? Especially (laughs) because at the end, it was like, it looked like the last shot there. It was like, it was being, it was sneaky. It was kind of, I'm still going to do this, even though I know- Yeah, that's true. So maybe it is more of a toddler thing. Yeah, I feel like it's a mischievous, like testing the limits, really. I think that's really what the, the vibe was, is testing the limits of what they can get away with. As also, oh my God, I just had the thought of when- they climbed onto Mando's lap and like snuggled in to go to bed. I I broke. <laughs> yeah, ovaries exploded. Yeah, uh, you know. And the baby Yoda tried to eat the eggs that fell out of. <laughs> <laughs> he he cuddled he cuddled Yoda a lot in this one, which made me very yeah. Happy. It was I loved that part, but it's gonna what it's gonna do is it's it's going to be setting up like a big lassie thing here where we are going to be. Not, you know, but it's going it's to be a problem when we finally have Baby Yoda going away with Jedi, presumably, or wherever, whatever happens, and Mando has to say goodbye. It's going to be, if, if and when we get there, whether it's this season or 10 seasons from now or whatever, it's going to be really sad. Or what if they, what, what, I refuse to entertain the possibility that they have to be separated. Like, Mando I, can stay I, on I, at the I, Jedi colony and be just like. But we know they don't survive because they're not in later movies. What? Oh, well, oh yeah. Well, at least as far as Baby Yoda goes, when we get, you know, this is after this is between yeah. between the original trilogy and the new movies, and there's no, you know, the force is theory can live to seven hundred. So I'm truly maintaining the possibility that it's not that they don't survive; it's just that they don't connect or that they hide away or something. Actually. That was my other sort of, not beef with the episode, but I'm starting to get concerned about, I think we talked about this constantly, the lack of stakes in that I wasn't that worried that they wouldn't survive the ice spiders, right? Because nothing is happening to them and nothing really can happen to them for a while as long as they want the show to persist. I thought there was a chance Frog Lady wouldn't, but... Yeah, but Frog Lady, I mean, as much as I like Frog Lady, Frog Lady is not a key... You know, oh, totally. But then, but then, Frog Lady dying, then Mando's here, and 
like doesn't have the point to get and then you know to get to where he can, he knows where he's going but then also has to find frog with his husband i guess which yeah, yeah but, but that's just another like temporary setback as opposed to I sure. think having an actual character have stakes to it. And and I think we're early on to have this thing, but I, it is sort of worrisome. And I'm like, okay, well, I guess one of the few ways you could solve for it is introducing another, another side character, companion, whatever that. Well, to that point, because that's, it's a, it's a good point you make because when you have a buddy movie, like a buddy movie, buddy, buddy show, buddy story like this, that is, yeah, it, you end up kind of getting there because, and I know we kind of talked about this before a little bit, but like, I know I have a lot of love for say the movie Solo and I know a lot of people don't. But I, what I loved when you are, we're talking about a movie here where these characters, we know that they're living, you know, yeah. for the most part. and we're like, okay, so Han and Chewie, I remember my friend was always laughing in the trailer. There's this shot when they're on like the mine cart things and, and Chewie like is about to be slammed by the mountain and Han like pulls him back up. It's, or before he pulls him back up, it's like, oh, Chewie, and he looks over, he's gonna get hit. My friend's like, well, we know Chewie lives. So why are they teasing like a, right. a oh no, Chewie's about to get beheaded. So it's like with that stuff. And I thought that what Solo did really effectively was, you know, we didn't know how long any of these characters were going to be in this movie. And they went off and they killed John Favreau and they killed Tandy Newton right away. And it was something where it was like, oh, wow. So like, it's showing us that all these other characters that are aside from the mains that we know of and Lando, you know, they're fair game. And so when you have just two characters that the whole story is focusing around without more kind of being in it more consistently, yeah, you're just kind of like, okay, well, we know you're okay. Yeah, but that's that's why I love, I hate, but I also loved Rogue One because I was like, oh, okay, we did it. We fi- I regret asking you to do this, but you did the thing that- no. I was shocked yeah, they did hurt. it. <laughs> I, I was very happy they did it, but I was shocked they did it. Yeah. I, could, I can't not sob the last 30 minutes of that film. And it's it's just, every time I watch it, I just find it so effective and it's, it's but yeah, you're watching a movie where going in as Star Wars fans, we knew that if this was actually gonna be good, all of these people were gonna die. <laughs> Yeah, or I mean, I think there are, you could have one survive and do something or one, so, but they, they went all in on that investment. And I, again, I hated it, but loved it. And I, I worry that this is going to be a situation where they're going to have to choose and I don't know how they're going to get out of this setup. Yeah. But that's a problem for another day. Right, we'll get that one again. before that's really a problem. Yeah, and until then I will take my baby out at eating spiders and, and frog eggs and all this <laughs> The thing that I guess they did, you know, with what they did in the first season, at least between episodes nine and 10, there is the worry that baby Yoda can get separated from Mando. And then, you know, there'll be a lot of stress trying to figure out how and when they're going to get back together. Because there's a lot of stories where you kind of know or feel, okay, how we know that this is going to end up this way or that way. But like the journey to get back together is like a lot, you know. So there is that. I which wanted is- to become Finding Nemo. I want right. more Mando and Baby Yoda hugs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because I, I mean, I was so stressed when man. Even in even in I, the episode, I believe Deborah Chow directed that when Mando turns the child in at first, and the child's with you know the baddies and stuff. It's those like ten minutes. It's just like wait, <laughs> go back and get him. <laughs> so I think the thing is like they've set Mando up as this character who is technically morally ambiguous, right? Because there's a lot of times where he leans on these hero tropes and does the right things, but then there's all these times we see him 
you know, tell the guy in the last episode, like I said, I wouldn't lay hands on you if you stick to the bargain or even this episode, right? He, the, the dude who, um, he, with the speeder and stuff like that, he's like, okay, you can have the jet pack. And then he oh, jets right, him, right. Yeah, shoots him off. The, so he does have, he has some moral code, but there are limits to it. But it, there was no moment in the episode where he gives up the child where I didn't expect him to go back for the child, right? There was not a single moment where I was like, I was like, this story cannot continue unless... <laughs> he has has this affinity. So I, I think that they are, they just have to be careful is all. Yeah. And it's like moments like, you know, I think it was last season, but when, you know, those stormtroopers have the child because they, they killed Nick Nolte. I think it was Nick Nolte's character. And yeah. took the child and then even the one punches the baby. It was just awful. Though even just that time before IG-11 shows up and saves the day, it was just like, <laughs> you know, so like if I just imagine like something happening at some point where the child is, taken from him and he's then the next however many episodes trying to figure out how to get him back <laughs> yeah i do think i think if it comes down to it if they have to pick one of the two to save in terms of the franchise they will sacrifice mando yeah i mean baby the baby's what sells everything so. exactly yeah he's why we're all watching you know yeah and he, i think he's also a better but he's a better sacrifice sort of historical story wise right well, you know for sure and then you know we talk about ashoka another another characters kind of coming in that are already loved by fans. So it's something that if they did decide to sacrifice Mando, it's not what's to say she's not gonna take the mantle and like be running with Baby Yoda, trying to, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, uh, you know, it, it's very interesting. And I kind of subscribe to the thought that the baby is an honorary Mandalorian at this point, because mm -hmm. uh, the, lady, the lady did say They're it. They're a clan of two. Yeah, the clan, she's like, you're a clan of two now, which to me says that the baby's a Mandalorian. So. Mm -hmm. Even if if you know Din ended up dying, we it's still our Mandalorian. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I agree. The show is not called Din; it's called Mandalorian, and so it could be any Mandalorian who takes that. Anyway, it's it's. Yeah, it's I'm excited to see where it goes for sure. But I I'm into it. We are going to take a quick break and be right back. Moving on to things that I thought I was going to be into and was very much not by the end. I want to talk about Holiday. <laughs> Yeah. Because I texted both of you when I saw the trailer and I was like, I hate that I think I'm going to be really into this. No. Yeah. I, First yeah. half I was. Second half I was like, what the fuck is going on here? <laughs> yeah, I, it looks like my type of movie and I really like Emma Roberts. It was just, the humor was too gross for me for the most part. So it lost me. Yeah, I, I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. I like that it was sort of an R-rated, I didn't give the appearance of being an R-rated raunchy comedy. That I don't think that was clear from the trailer. I thought it was very going to be very wholesome, which I feel like is generally the brand of these holiday movies, unless they go complete opposite direction and show like Bad Santa or Office Christmas Party and they try to be like super, but they, I feel like they let you know up front. The trailer for this was not that Wow. But then, but that, like that, that wasn't a problem for me. The problem for me is how self-referential it was to the ridiculousness of the ways that couples in rom-coms keep themselves apart. And then it did exactly that. And I was like, you can't point out what is bad about these things and then do it and not like have any excuse for it. You just did it and you were, you were bad about it. Yeah. You're not any better than them. And you, in fact, were more infuriating as a byproduct for me. It felt to me like a little bit of an inside joke that it was kind of like, like almost like Enchanted where we're making fun of Disney movies, but we're still Disney. Mm -hmm. And it's still just as cheesy as a Disney movie, but we're making fun of a Disney movie. It kind of felt, it wasn't as successful as I think Enchanted was, but I just mean, 
with calling that out right and then and then watching as they go through it kind of her having I guess they could have called back to it again at the end or something with kind of like oh we're so stupid but her being told that she's an idiot and ruins everything and whatever and she's like it came full circle enough for me to be okay with it because of the type of movie it is but but yeah I could see that being a frustration because it, it almost wants to be in on its own joke more than it was right or it didn't like recognize that it was it was no longer a joke it was literally just falling into a, a trope that it was making fun of so it's like you're yeah. you're yeah. just perpetrating this <laughs> Yeah, no, I wouldn't have been angry if they didn't end up together, but I, yeah, I don't know. I, I really enjoyed it. <laughs> I just thought it was, I, I laughed quite a bit and I thought there were some eye roll moments for sure. And, you know, the raunch didn't bother me, but at first, I think it was, you know, the scene with the, when he was with the girl he had been a few days with at Christmas with her family and they're in the room and then she like goes down on them. And then the comment about, you know, you can come in my mouth, but you can't, whatever. Like at first when it was, that stuff was happening, I was a little like taken aback being like, oh wait, what, what movie, like what movie are you trying to be? Like what, yeah. you know, is this, not that, the, not that you have to be one under the other, but I think that we typically, we either get the Judd Apatow or we get the Reese Witherspoon. Mm -hmm. And it's that kind of thing where this was, I think, trying to find a little common ground between them. And I'm not mad about that. It just at first felt a little jarring. Cause like you said, I did, I thought this was just going to be a cheesy Christmas movie, <laughs> to be honest, or holiday movie. You know, that's what I thought. And it wasn't, but you know. Yeah. I mean, I just don't like raunchy humor. So for me, I just don't find it funny. Yeah, I think that's fair. I just, I, I don't know. By the end, I was so frustrated at it. And I was like, I like, I wanted to be rooting for them because as much as yeah. I joke about hating these movies, I watch a lot of them and I do get caught up in them. And then her sort of cynicism, and I say this as a very cynical person in general, it, combined with the script really just put me off by the end. And I was like, I don't care. You don't deserve anything. <laughs> you don't deserve him. I <laughs> I thought they had really cute chemistry, though. I think that that worked. I did think they had chemistry. I was very surprised about that because a lot of these, like, holiday movies that, you know, I love watching these crappy holidays. I love it. I'm just like, in no world ever could I see, see you two getting along with that. But I thought that they played off each other really well. Yeah, I agree. And, and you know, I, I thought, yeah, she was, she was obviously cynical and annoying in a lot of ways. But he was also admittedly playing a game the whole time because he didn't want to admit that he, that he thought she was hot or whatever. And I... I kind of appreciated that she held on to that comment being kind of like, you don't like you, you talk to me like that in such a like, you know, and, and I'm not going to just, of course, I'm not going to allow myself, even though she was allow myself to fall for you. And the mind is like a powerful thing. So I believed the whole time that she believed she wasn't falling for you, even though she was, you know what I mean? So I, yeah. I, don't know, I kind of was like, yeah, you guys, you deserve each other. <laughs> yeah, I think I think for me it was, you know, the movie's chugging along. I'm like, okay, fine, fun. You know, the the holidays, the dates they go on montage was fine. I like I was on board with it until they had that fight at Thanksgiving in the grocery store. And I was like, just say the things you want to say. This is this is truly where romantic comedies fall apart, generally speaking. And if he's already professing this and she's just like, no, bye, and then doesn't doesn't continue at all. I just I, that that was when I was like for a character who set herself up as like kind of no nonsense, no BS. They didn't do that public thing, did they? Yeah, they did. Oh, they At did. the end, she, yeah. she like got on the microphone. Oh yeah, I hate that. Oh, that is, like honestly, I, and I love rom-coms. I love most of them hardcore, but if we could cut something out of rom-com and it would be the weird public declaration of love, like yeah. if we could just not do that ever, ever. I've never seen one in real life. I hope to never see one in real life. I hope to never receive one in real life. I don't want anyone telling our business to the whole mall. Yeah, I also, speaking of malls, maybe it's just because of where we're all located. I have never seen 
Like, was this informed by the mall, like the pro-mall lobby? Like, did malls sponsor this movie? Do people in 2019 or 2020 spend this much time? Forget 2020, because that was a year that, like, wasn't. But do people in modern day truly spend this much time in malls at this point? I will say I love a mall. And I do. (laughs) Oh, I do go or did, you know, when we could more. I did frequent the mall more than probably most people. But to be fair, my target is attached to a mall. That's different though. That's you going to Target and it happens no, okay. to be. Often, <laughs> the thing is, it's like right outside Target, you got Hot Topic and Box Lunch right there in the Disney store. So it's like, I find myself wandering out of Target into the mall. Mm-hmm. I go to Target very frequently. So there's that. You know, I'm not sure that I'm always just driving to the mall. Uh, Jackie and I, of course, this was years ago, but we used to hang out at the mall together. <laughs> no, but I'm talking about modern day, right? This film modern is set day. in modern day. No, totally. I mean, yeah. To be fair, when Matt was talking about it, it was only like 10 years ago. But yeah. I still, I still think that the, the landscape in terms of literally, I, this is how nerdy I am. I was like, in terms of commerce, really like big, like box retail is dead. Like, why aren't these people just, you know, doing this stuff online? I, I think the premise of the meat cute made sense in that they had right. to deal with returns. Fine. Sure. But then, <laughs> you know, keeping going to the mall, I'm like, yeah. When he rescued her at the chocolate store, I was actually thinking he was there on purpose. Was I like that? I thought he was there on purpose. He said she was going to be going there. I thought thought maybe there was an element of subconscious. I thought thought that he was there on purpose to try to talk her into a holiday yeah. Um, since that was sort of the second one, right? And then the last one, they they bump into each other, like shopping for Christmas or whatever, which right. I will say, I have bumped into people at the mall, but I don't usually make friends at the mall or talk to anyone <laughs> at the mall. So there is that. I will say also the most upsetting thing to me about the whole film probably was after they returned these, they are sold their clothes to the lady who would buy them. because they couldn't so bizarre. Them. And I them and I automatically didn't like him because he didn't want a pretzel and then shamed about what that does to your body. And pretzel's like my favorite food. So I was like really upset about that. And then she has the two pretzels in her hands and she's taking a couple bites. And then there's a shot of her actually throwing them away. <laughs> and I just took a great offense to that. I just wanted to say that. I mean, not just pretzels are great foods, but mall pretzels are a special brand of delicious. Yeah, like that and like- Very hard, high tier. I'm gonna throw it out there. Airport pretzels, also. I think be- in part because they are basically the same brands usually, but there's just something about those pretzels that. No, it is. It's it's like crack. And then you know, I'm I'm here for the Disneyland pretzel. I love a movie theater pretzel. I love pretzel bite. I I, I just love a pretzel. And I just can't fathom. You got two pretzels. I get he didn't want one, which I don't get why he didn't. But then why would you just throw them away? It just it's true. Very wasteful. It, it was a, it was a double betrayal for you, really. He didn't yeah. have to show that. She could have just held on to them. I would just assume she ate them. But like it was like a. She, she's talking to him and she ended up and you hear a clunk in the garbage. So it wasn't even like pretending she ate them both. It was just, I found it very funny. I mean, there were a bunch of like kind of little one-off things. Like she's a twig and they're like, oh, you let yourself go. And I'm like, come on, I, do we need to keep? I thought that too. I was like, wow. And then I was like, well, maybe they're, I mean, talking about the fact that she's wearing kind of like a dumpy shirt and not, you know, whatever. But I, I thought it was funny when the mom was, or someone was like, oh, you're something about, oh, we're talking about her, her work meeting and she's wearing a t-shirt and she's like, and you can at least put on some makeup. And she's like, I am wearing makeup. <laughs> it's just so like the stupid standards we put on poor women. Yeah. And, and although extra hilarious that this film comes out now when it's like, well, now most of us work from home. So <laughs> no. really, this is not a strange <laughs> kind of, she's, she's not quirky and fun anymore. She's just all of us. <laughs> Every time I'm watching something and there's someone working at from home or 
people wearing a mask and this, like we were watching, like, you know, when we watched the, the, the Blackpink documentary and people wearing masks, because I know a lot of cultures, different Asian cultures, they are, they've been wearing masks for years, you know? Mm-hmm. But every time I see it, I'm always like, oh yeah, this must be, and I'm like, wait, no, this was far before quarantine. It's just, they <laughs> just happened to be in the narrative. <laughs> I love seeing Frances Fisher um, back in her, you know, the, her role of her lifetime playing Rose, Rose's mother in Titanic. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I liked Kristen Chenoweth in that yeah. Oh, I know what I was going to say. I really dislike the trope that all single women sit home eating chocolate on Valentine's Day upset. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Agreed. It's just not a thing. I mean, maybe in your early 20s, but no one I know is actively upset they can't celebrate Valentine's in their 30s. I would yeah. like to throw out that February 15th is one of my favorite holidays because all the candy goes on sale. So anybody worth their salt should know that that's the better holiday to eat candy on your own. <laughs> if you're going to go get candy, don't pay for expensive candy. Yeah, don't pay for all the markups. That and yeah. like <laughs> November 1st, two favorite candy days. Right. I, just, I, I do agree that's an annoying trope. I think obviously they're trying to be like, you know, she's fresh off a breakup and she's really devastated about it. So that's why she's doing it this year. But yeah, it's, it's an annoying trope that we have to be seeing all the time. Yeah. Well, and just the trope in general that all single women must be in need of a husband. That was a Pride and Prejudice quote. Bam! But with the educated <laughs> references. <laughs> I mean, of course, I switched woman and wife, but it's fine. Yeah. That whole trope annoys me also. So here we are. <laughs> On a, a ranking of sort of these, I mean, I hate, I guess they're not all streaming because Lifetime and Hallmark Channel also do their own sort of those are, those are television networks. Where do we rank this in terms of quality? On because I, I mean, I also evaluate these things on a very different metric, but. In terms of the the spectrum of these holiday kind of quickly produced movies, how do we feel about this one? I honestly, for me, rank it pretty high because of the quality of it as far as, you know, it's not the most amazing film I've ever seen. But I I honestly believe that if I had seen this in the theater, I wouldn't have been mad about it. Whereas most of these other ones that I watch, you know, having some having some drinks and like laughing and kind of what because I just think that they're like ridiculous and like fun but I could never imagine them playing in a theater. And this felt like a real movie to me. Are you telling me that the Princess Switch 3, Switched Again or whatever it is, would not be playing in a theater? Where are they open? I wish it wouldn't. I would go to it, but (laughs) I I do think it feels a little cheaper. Just like a little bit. Is that good? I, th- I thought the quality was, if for not being something I pro- probably won't watch again just because of the raunchy humor that I didn't enjoy, it does feel very professional, I thought. There were parts of it that, again, were quality, and then it just fell apart for me. That's what I'm like, oh, I, I, I was starting to hold it to a standard that I hold other films to, <laughs> as opposed to this sort of subcategory of right, yearly deluge of, right. yeah. Yeah, I think it, it ranks above a Hallmark movie. I love a Hallmark movie, but mm-hmm. I think it ranks above a Hallmark movie yeah and just even not just because we have more name actors and actresses things like that but overall not you know it's no oscars here but everyone to me was pretty convincing in their roles <laughs> you know and it just well, I, we had chemistry and stuff which is lacking in a lot of those um, yeah which is yeah. interesting watching them they're both pretty people who have no chemistry together right or I think more often than that, they're both mostly pretty people. Like there's just like one level of not, you know, and that they can't act very well either. So it's sort of- Often, and this excludes my wonderful um, Christmas holiday queen, Haley Duff. Uh, <laughs> but she's my favorite holiday movie, holiday movie lady. Oftentimes in these movies, I watch them and it just, you see the lead actors and actresses and even, um, you know, supporting characters. 
and they just slightly resemble somebody who's made it big. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're kind of like the B or C level version of this person. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so that always, not to be, you know, making fun, hopefully there's room for everybody, but it's just a thing where it's like, and then they're not that great. And then you're kind of, well, I see why they got there and you didn't. Yeah, I think they are very intentionally cast with because they look like certain people. And it's like, maybe if you were like kind of scrolling through, you'd be like, oh, is that? And then you start watching, you're like, oh, it's not. But I'm already watching this. (laughs) Yeah, and then they throw in that one like person you've heard of. They're kind of like, oh, okay. And I mean, you know. (laughs) It does really make me wonder though, how, how, because I... I know a little bit about these movies in that they are made very quickly. Holiday probably excluded because, again, as we mentioned, there there feels like there is a little bit more production and, and budget thrown at this film. But typical, and generally speaking, they are Christmas movies, are made in a very short timeline. Right. It's always like literally three sets. It's like a home, an office, and a store. Sometimes four because sometimes they're outdoors and there's like a Christmas market. Like I feel like there's one right. Christmas so market. But, yeah. But they're interchangeable. Right. But I always am interested when I see the sort of middle, middle-sized names end up in them. Like I, I, Vanessa Hudgens is a good example of someone who I'm like, you're not no one. And no, you, you've done. certainly carved out a niche doing these, but how does that first conversation go? And when do you agree like, okay, I'm going to become one of these people basically, you know, like I'm, I'm stepping into the, the Christmas universe. And it's kind of similar to, they talk about, I mean, remember when like when it was announced that Meryl Sheep was going to be in Big Little Lies season two, and it was this thing where, oh, wow, now even Meryl's doing TV, which mm-hmm. we're in a different time now. But there always was kind of this separation from scripted television and scripted film where it was really, I think, hard for actors to cross over from one way. Like, so someone like, say, David Duchovny or Jennifer Aniston trying to become movie stars was... Mm-hmm more of a jump than it was to get a movie star to do TV. You know, so it was like a big deal. And now I think we've kind of bridged that gap a bit because the quality of so much television has increased. But then now the new, it's like, yeah, we're talking about these movies and these very made for home (laughs) movies. And yeah, what what has to happen? What kind of budget do we have to be working with here? Like what what are the factors that, yeah, get someone huge or or once big to to disagree to do it? I I really don't know. Because I can't imagine these have very big budgets at all well or most of the budget goes to if you are acquiring a bigger name the talent and that's when you only get the three set episode you know what movie versus the fourth set where you get the outdoor like fake snow you know but i but i think the other thing is for me it's not fair to them but sometimes i do put like a little bit of a stigma on it where i'm like oh you did that yeah okay it kind of just rings on a like oh like you feel uh, like risk of sounding awful you just say, kind of feel like oh they've fallen far like you know you and it's just yeah I don't know but sometimes I also think you know people would have said that about certain like superhero films and things like that back in the day and obviously that has changed now where like you know the Marvel Universe and stuff and the quality of these films overall has become something where you have to think these big actresses namely who have gone and crossed over to do them you have you know someone like Kate Blanchett going and being a villain you have Glenn Close being Nova Prime things <laughs> like that where you have to think it is just probably kind of just fun and just kind of like, well, true, yep. it's just like, I don't have to think a lot about this and I'm getting a little check for it. And I probably don't have to do a ton of press for like a holiday movie, you know, <laughs> where it's kind of like, might just be fun. Well, and I think too, if you aren't seeing a lot of scripts that you like, or you're not seeing a lot of stuff you like, but this looks kind of fun and easy, then maybe you just do it to have something to do. True. Some work is better than no work. 
Yeah, because yeah. I, I feel like, you know, actors, it's hard because you're not working constantly, right? At least most people aren't. So you do have to find things to do sometimes. But yeah. there is whole careers built on Christmas entertainment. I mean, you know, it's like all of those memes that you see. It's like Michael Bublé is un- defrosting as we speak, you know. <laughs> right. Well, and talk about Candace Cameron. I mean, until yeah. until the Full House reboot kind of came about, it's or sequel series, whatever you want to call it. Before that came about, it was like I mean, all you ever heard about was just her doing these these Hallmark movies, right? Or was it Lifetime? Totally acknowledge that it is a viable and valuable career trajectory, but it does feel like once you enter into that market you just keep sort of cycling through and it's harder and harder to be like, oh yes, I'm now going to, how many calls are coming through after being like, could you please be in this, you know, HBO miniseries with Meryl Streep? It just feels like it sort of sets you on a little bit of a different, but but maybe you agree to do it also because you weren't getting those calls anyway. So I do wonder for particularly like Vanessa Hudgens, for example, she's only done Netflix ones, which I do think is a higher tier than- I would agree with that. Yeah, that's that's for sure true. You have to wonder how many times these films and different things have have reached out to people like Betty White or different people that are just so fun and sweet and this and that and like just tried to get them. Yeah, <laughs> you know but I, mean? I think I think a cameo to me would be different, right? If yeah. Kristen Chenoweth to me is like a good example of someone who's like, yeah, she probably had to do like four days of work. You know, okay, fine. The story is not dependent. She is not the main character, but whoever uh, Emma Roberts is and so her name is going to be above the fold or whatever above the title yeah yeah it's it's very interesting to think about and then you know there's also the matter of who signed on first mm-hmm. and you have a name like emma roberts you've got you've got some different names in this who have done things the, the sister was arizona and in gray's anatomy when it was still kind of decent right <laughs> you know back back i when, tapped out before that i did not know who she was no shade to people who still love her but i remember i remember her from gray's anatomy and so I don't know what else she's done, I guess, but there were people that have done things and he, and you know, the, the guy, the lead actor, I don't know his name off the top of my head, but he's been in a couple of things as well. And you wonder who signed on first and then, and then also I, I kind of feel like there has to be something about getting the call and being like, oh, okay, well, so-and-so's involved, so-and-so's involved. And then it kind of like, you won't be the only one. <laughs> you know what I mean? I think more. the Netflix factor is a big deal though. Yeah. Is, yeah. And I'm sure the Netflix paycheck is also probably better. For I him, I, for, I think the guy's name is Luke Bracey. Yes, I, was, I looked at his IMDb and I was like, okay, this is a step up for you. You are the leading man in this. That's definitely like right. a good it, resume builder. It, there was a guy from SNL in it who had like a bit part, but I was like, yeah, you you are someone who is having to break out, out of an ensemble show. Any part in a movie is a good part for you probably. And then, you know, you have all these other sort of side characters who I'm like, okay, yeah, this is probably a bit role, but it's on par with whatever else you're getting. So Emma Roberts to me was kind of the most interesting because I, I think she is yeah. a bigger name. I do I do acknowledge her as a name I was I was not expecting to see in a Netflix no, film. No, 100%, because she's one of those ones where, you know, there is some nepotism involved, of course, but, and she's kind of made a career out of playing a very similar character, which I have to wonder if it's kind of just how she is in real life. You know, I don't know if she's all that amazing or if she's really good at playing this character, whatever it is, but I like her. I really do. <laughs> like I, and, and when I watch her in different shows, she, you know, she got on the Ryan Murphy train and did Scream Queen. She's done American Horror Story things there. I always end up kind of gravitating to most of the characters that she's playing when I'm watching these shows, <laughs> you know? So there's something about her. I find, I find, I guess, somewhat magnetic. I, I like her, but it is interesting because yeah, I think she is big enough and also someone who we, I, you know, I don't know her personal life, but probably doesn't have 
to take something like this necessarily as, as mm -hmm. much as she probably just wants to. And I looked up the director and I believe he, oh, when, when I watched it, because I was curious who did it, and I forget his name, but I think I remember he, yeah, he did a couple of the Big Mama's House sequels and he's done a lot of stuff. Like nothing that, nothing crazy big that I'm like, oh, I love that movie, but he's been around for a while and done a lot of different things. So it's also not necessarily a total no name, if you will. So there's that. So the, the writer, however, is the writer of Nancy Drew, the film. Oh, with yeah. Emma. Yes. So that I, that I, I actually, I don't know a lot about Emma Roberts. I think it's, again, talking about sort of what we're talking about with the Queen's Gambit. She is someone who, in spite of only being a couple of years younger than us, I'm like, you're a child. In my mind, she will always be a child. She is almost 30. And I mean, so- the kind of Kendrick thing. They just seem very young to me. Yeah. And I think a part of it's just, you know, you enter my, my mental cultural zeitgeist at a certain age. You, and she also plays young characters more often than not. And I thought for me, she was maybe trying to break away from that with this kind of vulgar humor. Like, I'm going to have all the... But I, I realized I have not really seen her in a lot of stuff <laughs> because I don't watch the horror stuff, right? And that's where she sort of carved out it. Her time in Ryan Murphy stuff is pretty raunchy, but... The thing is, she's really raunchy in most of her roles. So she's... Well, then. She's always the, the bitch queen who will tell you what she's thinking. Never mind. It's, again, I think maybe this goes back to, in my mind, she's still Nancy Drew, even though oh, I didn't even see yeah. Nancy Drew. <laughs> but this could be her way of trying to, you know, like, again, just, she's in the Ryan Murphy stuff, but she's often playing younger characters. Screaming Queen, she's in college. And, you know, horror story, say, Coven with the witches, which when she kind of broke into that scene, they are young witches training. And so she's an adult, but college level type of thing. And this could have been- a lot of movies, her. really, right? No, what's that? She doesn't do a lot of movies. She does a lot of TV. Yeah, I mean, and she has done some, but when you talk about the ones she did, I mean, it got, so I think she was, I know she was in one called The Black Coat's Daughter that I happen to like, and my cousin and I really thought it's a very, you know, devil possession type of movie. And it was very indie, but, you know, she does these roles where she still is kind of what you're saying, where even though she's being raunchy and this and that or outspoken, she still is young. And this could be that attempt to say, hey, I'm going to go into a rom-com or whatever you want to call it as the lead in this raunchier type of thing and kind of making her more adult mm -hmm. rather than the outspoken college girl. So there probably is something to that. I would not be surprised because even it was pretty raunchy, I guess, We Are the Millers, uh, which I, of course, went and saw for my Jennifer, you know, <laughs> I'll watch anything she does. And she's still their daughter in that, you know, so she had moments and stuff, but she was still young. Yeah. You know, so I, I think that could, there could be some truth to that. All right. Well, we have many, uh, many a holiday film to look at forward to and compare to because all of our Netflix algorithms have now been aggressively suggesting every other holiday film. So expect lots more of these ones. This is just the, the, the tip of the iceberg or the tree or the, I don't know what the holiday related analogy to make here. <laughs> well, speaking of other shows though, that do have sort of movie talents who have agreed to be on streaming or I guess TV, cause it's HBO. Uh, although I guess Nicole Kidman really has sort of carved out a space in this high quality world is we've, we started watching The Undoing. I had lots of trouble getting into episode one and then I made it three quarters of the way through and I'm very proud of myself because I just, I'd start over a couple times and now I'm hooked. Okay, I love that. I, I'm very into it. I, episode one, I, I agree with that where I was into it because I, I just like the vibe and the style. I was appreciating that. I just like it and I'm like, okay. But even by the end of it, I liked it, but I still was, even though, yeah, we're looking, where's the husband, where's the husband? But I still was kind of like, 
where is this going? Like in a, in a weird kind of way where I was like, what is this going to be about? Yeah. And then by episode two, kind of carving out where we're going here, I really started to enjoy it. I will say the very ending of episode three, I thought was a little like womp womp. The whole like, let's show you the security footage and it's you. And it's like, okay, well, okay, who didn't see that coming? And I didn't. I didn't oh, see it coming. Oh, oh, <laughs> yeah. See, the whole time I was thinking like, does she have something to do with this? Does she, did she kill her? And is she not you know, she doesn't remember it, she's going crazy, or she's covering it up, or whatever it is, and I'm not necessarily thinking that's what happened, but I guess I, I thought that seemed obvious, sorry. <laughs> no, it's fine, I mean. It worked for someone then, because I kind of was like, oh, really? Like, I was like, I was hoping for a better send-off, if you will. I thought it was obvious that it was her, too, for some reason, but I think I'm enjoying it. Yeah. I think if he did actually kill her, it would be really annoying and boring, so I really want to find out what the real story is. I was going to say that, that it's it's going to be, it's one of those shows where by the end of it, it's going to be really disappointing to learn that he did do it. And it's mm-hmm. going to be now really disappointing to learn that she did it. And so it's this kind of thing where it, it can either, it's either going to end being like, well, whatever, or it's going to end on a way that we just didn't expect and be like, wow, you know, so it's really, and it's one of those. Yeah. So, so for me, I think the reason I, it's a very weird relationship I'm having with it because I'm like, okay, I watched most of the first season of Big Little Lies and then I just tapped out because I was just like, I, it's not vibing for me. I get very put off by these stories that take place in very sort of upper class elite, mostly white worlds of these women who are, you know, living these lives that are completely unrelatable to me, right? I'm like, that townhouse of theirs in New York is absurd. The the most of the houses in Big Little Lies are completely absurd. I, I understand why people are fans of them, but it's just not like the type of thing that appeals to me. I do love a good murder mystery type thing though. And so having to get over that part of it with this like, okay, well, they're both doctors and they're both, they live this perfect life, fine, whatever. I could not care less. But once it started sort of unraveling and I was like, what's going on? I think I texted you both. I was like, so many boobs. I was like, is this going to be like a psychosexual thriller? Is this going to be whatever? And I feel like whatever, I want to know what the, how it ends is what what it comes down to. And I don't care about the characters. I just want to know how it ends. And I feel like the twists and the turns are not going to pay off in the end for me, but I'm still going to have to go on the ride, if that makes sense. I guess I'm super worried that it won't pay off, but that's what's important. Like, I care about the mystery a lot at this point. I want to know what's going on. I mean, we know he's lying because he told her before they went to the gala that he had a flight the next morning. Mm -hmm. So he was already planning to leave her at that point. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't some spur of the moment decision like he claims it was. Right, and he was hiding the fact that he had had an affair and all this, so he was really stuck. There's a lot, when the affair comes, whatever, but so we know that he's definitely lying Mm -hmm. because it was planned, you know, the flight was planned at the very least live for the flight anyway. right but we don't know why which it'll right. be interesting to see i think we've talked about this before but nicole's one of my all times I, I love her and i she can be her <laughs> she can play a lot of the same role sometimes and also like her american accent is like, <laughs> the strongest thing i've ever heard but there's something about when you talk about these characters who i also don't really find super relatable and, and when you talk about like big little lies I don't really find any of them super relatable. Not that that is necessary always, but more fascinating in this way where it's like these people do exist. And it's like my favorite in that show is my my girl, Laura Dern, because it's just like, she's so outrageous. And so just like eye roll, all these first world problems we're talking about, you know, Mm -hmm. and and still things kind of unravel. But so I can totally respect and understand why it's like, okay, I have no interest in these privileged people's lives and their problems. 
and so yeah, the, the murder mystery kind of amplifies it, makes it more interesting, but I am invested mostly in Nicole's character, and part of that is because of my biases. I, I love Nicole. So it's like this thing where she does, there's something about her that captivates me, and when she owns a character she's playing that I am interested about what's going to happen to her, you know, <laughs> whether, whether, whatever we see, but it is the mystery that's mostly intriguing. Yeah, I will be disappointed, though, if she's the one who kills her and just forgot about it. I will too, especially the whole time. I'm into her playing us. Yeah. And like yeah. Us, no idea what's going on. Totally yeah. into that. Cool. Mm-hmm. I just don't want it to be some weird, like she's a psychologist who happens to have multiple personality disorder. Oh God. And no one ever That's knew. Uh-uh. You know what I mean? Like that, that will be disappointing to me. So yeah. let's not go down that road. Please. Yeah. I guess, I guess the biggest mystery to me is how they are going to get themselves out of this in a clever way, or if they are going to get themselves out of it in a clever way, right? Because you've set up all of these cliches potentially to fall into. And I want to see, can you surprise me? And there were parts where I was surprised. I, Matt will be offended by this, but I am not a Nicole Kidman fan. I don't think she's a great actress. I think there are some roles that she's actually really good in. And and this one, I'm like, okay, fine. You're playing something. And I can't tell if this is, it's not super weak acting because I, I still will acknowledge she's a better actress than many people out there. But I'm like, is this a character choice or is this just you not doing a great job in this moment? And so I'm not sure. And I'm like, okay, well, if the whole thing is she is just a truly actually a psychopath and has managed to, you know, she acts in all these ways because those are the right ways to act in this situation to not let people onto the idea that she has murdered someone. You know, she's playing all the right cards in different moments and, and she's scared in front of this person and she's acting overwhelmed in this moment. Okay, fine, maybe I can get on board with that as the solution. But it's right now at this moment in time and we're only three episodes in, I'm like, I don't know what of this is just Nicole Kidman being Nicole Kidman, what if this is written into the script, what if this is, is it good direction? We're going to find out. We're definitely at a crossroads in the, in the show, I think. That's, that's the risk, and that's the thing, is that, and that's why I'm like, I, I'm loving it, and I'm happy to have something episodic that's like a mystery, because I'm like, okay, great, like, episodic meaning weekly. I, I always say episodic, but I mean weekly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm excited for that, and yeah, but it's always, it's that's the risk, is like, we just don't know, is, is this going to just fall all the way apart and just be like, ugh, womp, womp, or is it going to keep going? Because if they can find a really clever way to make it just like something that we didn't, we all didn't see coming type of thing. And, and I can even, I, you know, I've seen so too many things to the point where I can often see certain things coming. I can even still love it, even if I saw it coming, if it's done in a way that is really cool and creative. And yeah, I don't know. The other thing I want to say, a standout for me is um, Lily Ray, the actress, the other mom in that group that she went to like, the courthouse and was watching and she was mm-hmm. one of the school that lawyer mm-hmm. she i love her from american horror story i haven't seen her in much more but she's in my favorite seasons of american horror story and i think she's incredible in in the seasons that she's in and i keep on waiting for her to do something where she's she's going to kind of break out and i just don't know <laughs> and i've wondered like why God, why is no one because she is really great and it's like uh, I'm so happy to see her here, and I hope that she continues to do well in it, and that it's good. But um, I just, it's I feel just, like she has a role of some sort. She knew more. Yeah, she's definitely in each episode. There's fair, fair enough amount to be a, a supporting character that doesn't seem like she's gonna go away anytime soon. Yeah, I think it took a couple episodes for me to be like, okay, you are more than just a caricature. Yeah. And, and I think some of that is mostly just the writing, right? It's like, okay, yes, we get it. There's that one pushy PTA mom who's right. kind of our, our narrator in effect and is, is like, oh my God, can you believe that Karen did this? Or she's right. so new to the board, you know, I'm just like, okay, fine. 
it's a tired trope, but if that's what you're going to do, at least pick somebody good to deliver it. And then suddenly there's a, there's more to her story. And I'm like, okay, all right, I see why you've done this. <laughs> right. I think it is her having the connection to lawyers and things like that. That's going, that kind of solidified, okay, you're here to stay, you know, because yeah. they're obviously making it so that she has a purpose here. The other thing was, I, I liked the character of um, the woman who was murdered. And I was actually sad that she was gone already. I kind of want more from her and what's going on and my first thought was like oh maybe we'll get more flashbacks things like that but then I was like well but everything we're kind of doing here a lot of it is Nicole's perspective because if you notice we're not really following around other people so much as much as we're really just following around you know we, we are we are doing that but it's really yeah. it's on Nicole and with that I'm like okay well then whose flashbacks would we be getting I guess I guess if if the, uh, the husband becomes more of a part or if, if Hugh Grant but it's something where, not, not to say we're going to get flashbacks, but I'm just trying to think of how we could get more info on this girl because Nicole didn't know her. You know, so well, well, no, Nicole, that's my thing. Nicole says she didn't know her. And okay. I think that's, that's, the, that's the part to me that could be interesting is that if we are basically seeing however many episodes from the perspective of the people that Nicole Kidman's character is lying to, mm-hmm. right? If we as the audience are being manipulated and lied to. For me, I was like, oh, the, the person I gravitated towards the most was Edgar Ramirez's character, who's the cop. Because he was just like immediately put her on her guard and and she was acting odd in their first interrogation scene. And I was like, oh, okay, maybe something is up. And the the way, I, I'm, I'm also someone who's not surprised by plot twists that much at this point, unless they're so far out of left field. But there were moments I was like, oh, I actually just wasn't expecting that. And maybe it's because I wasn't expecting anything from the show at that point. Sure. But I didn't see that he was having an affair coming or that he had been fired however long ago or whatever. You know, and I, I don't know if that's a good thing because they're trying to sort of surprise us with these, you know, like, aha, this has happened now. As long as it makes sense, I'm always okay with it. When it comes to plot twists, and actually, Jackie, I think we've talked at length about this before, about things we've loved and hated. When it comes to a plot twist in a film, I don't like the ones that just come out of left field and you couldn't have pieced together if you really tried. You know what I'm saying? Like where mm-hmm. if they don't give you enough you don't have to give me so many clues to where I should just get it but you should be able to kind of figure out a decent chunk of it for it to be effective if it's just out of left field and you couldn't have seen it coming then you weren't telling us the story in an effective way you just wanted to fool us it's like watching Sixth Sense a second time right the first time maybe you guessed it very few people did right but you're going through it with an entirely different perspective the first time and then if you watch it the second time you can actually put it together and you wonder why you didn't. I would agree with that. I think the thing for me, and this is the interesting thing about this sort of slightly longer form storytelling in these you know, self-contained series versus a movie, is that for the pieces of information that we have been given so far, I don't think it's fair to say that you could have pieced together that he had been in a malpractice suit, essentially, and had been fired from his job based on the very limited info that oh, we've been given sorry. about. Yeah, no. I, I guess I should clarify that reveals are one thing. Like I'm like, you can reveal something about a character we didn't know. And then it, oh, that's helping me piece things together. But if there's, let's say a twist in the end of some kind or whatever, we kind of go, you know, like I hate to end right. on, but you know how he, he existed for a while on twist endings and it's kind of gimmicky where it's like, if there is a twist, I need to be able to kind of piece that together. But yeah, th- that information about the husband, that's something where it's more yeah, information that we're getting. It's helping us solve the mystery. Right. I guess if the solution to whatever happens isn't something we could have guessed, right? 
Right. right. And I think, I think the thing for me is the way that they are doing these reveals, these major reveals, is that they keep doing them in these dramatic ways where I'm like, you didn't give us any information leading up to this point that really indicated this was possible. And again, this, we're only a couple episodes into, we're, we're like a third of the way through the story. So I will allow for, yes, by the end, maybe this will all have made sense. But for me as an audience member, I'm like, there's only so many times you get to do this before it's just like, oh, well, that was convenient. Well, this is convenient right. too. That's and convenient I, as well. Like, did you really like- I totally heard that. Yeah. I, I, part I, of I, my I, problem with the ending of this third, third episode was where the other part of it was, okay, well, you had this footage of her walking away from the crime scene. And I guess you've just been like fooling around with her this whole time. Like, why wouldn't you just, why wouldn't she be a prime suspect from the get-go? Like, unless they just got the footage for some reason. But I'm like, that would have been the first thing I would have looked at was camera footage if there was anything, anything nearby. And for them to reveal it at the end of the third, like, oh, we have this. And he was being, I love Edgar Ramirez in this role. And I like that he's being so like condescending and stuff. It's, it's interesting to me. But he's sitting there like, oh, you really want to see the footage? Okay, we'll show you. And it's her. And I'm like, well, why haven't you not already crossed that bridge? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you saw her, you know what I'm saying? Like it just, it felt like it was there to be placed as a reveal to end an episode rather than logically when they would be uh, giving us that information. Agreed. Was she wearing the same outfit in the footage that she wore? I, the party? I mean, the footage was very, I did not look like Nicole Kidman was the first thing I it was like, that doesn't really look like her. And yes, it's, I get it. It's like a traffic cam footage or whatever. But my interpretation of that last sort of confrontation was that they had just come into that evidence that, that I was willing to believe in that they finally pulled the f camera footage from this. And they're like, yes, we do have this one thing. And the only reason that they hadn't come to see her about it yet, maybe because they were trying to build a stronger case, you know, on its own, that isn't telling of anything. Right. But then her, coming to them and pushing them on this one thing was like yeah. okay this is when we play this card no and i, I could respect that it's just it's, i wonder is she wearing the same outfit because she was in bed i i couldn't tell oh yeah sorry that's what i was like i was like i couldn't even tell it was her let alone whether or not it was the same outfit it's funny because i thought that the, i thought one of my things was when they showed the footage i thought it looked kind of alarmingly clear for street footage yeah <laughs> i was thinking like this especially nighttime i was like this should look a little more distorted it? it was very like very uh, clear to me but Maybe that's why I'm so confused because it was so light that I assumed that that was footage at like five in the morning or something. And I was like, I thought everyone was home. Yeah, I guess I don't know. I don't know what time, if they said what time it was or whatnot, but it's interesting that she was so persistent on saying like, don't you have cameras? Don't you have camera? Whatever, when, like knowing that she was walking around <laughs> around there although maybe the reason she's so aggressive about that is to be like hey i want to see if you actually i know i was there yeah do you know i was there and this is her way of going about it that, that again to me if she ends up being this super master manipulator character i'm you know i'm probably more on board with that as the resolution and that all of these things that she's been acting sort of erratically are actually just a, a you know a ruse and she's trying to right and i do feel like there is another whole separate trope that is its own problem where it's like oh yes of course these like psychologists or psychiatrists are so smart and you know they understand the human brain so well that they can lie and, and are actually psychopaths themselves i'm like Ugh. like i feel like but hannibal the the brian fuller show like had that they go but we don't know if that's where it's going i have no idea you know i will say i mean i enjoy big little lies and with the same writing it, it's something where i thought that the mystery in there well the mystery things in there kind of got crafted pretty well for me so I'm hoping that at least by the end of the first season I felt very fulfilled in Big Little Lies so I'm hoping that this leads me down that same path but we'll see. I had read the book for Big Little Lies so it's very oh, different. Yeah, yeah. So 
Is there a book for this or is this all just new? I don't, actually don't know. That's a good question. All right. So yes, uh, this is based on a book. It's based on a 2014 novel called You Should Have Known. I don't know what that's going to tell us about anything. But yes, of course, created by David E. Kelly for the show, a yeah. Big Little Lies of, you know, many, many a legal, etc. Yeah. Thriller. So um, thought, I think it's interesting. I don't know if it has anything to do with anything. Probably not. But if you watch the opening credits, like the opening title, that it's Dream a Little Dream of Me and Nicole Kidman's the one singing it. I did notice that. Oh, I'm terrible. I always skip through. I'm like, nope, just get me to the show. <laughs> I watched it the first time because I, I sometimes like, I mean, I don't know. I was a big uh, Little Fires Everywhere guy this year. And and that, that the music and that opening, <laughs> they, it was it got uh, my life. So like, or like Game of Thrones, for example, I would usually watch through it every time just to hear the music. I love it. Game of Thrones, I would only because the little like intro would yeah. change every time, right? True, but... true, true, yeah, each season. But, it, but it's just, I, if I'm a sucker for the good music or like X-Files. I was always an X-Files fan and I love that music. So I'd always watch those. Friends, I skip right through it because I can't stand that song. But yeah. depending on the show. <laughs> I'm always looking at my phone at that point because I start it, I check things because I know nothing's going to happen in like the first, whatever, 30 seconds. Yeah. And I always miss the skip. Miss the skip. <laughs> <laughs> then you're just stuck. Yeah. I'm always like, nope, nope, nope. You think in the third, third episode in a row and I'm just like, yeah. You know? <laughs> I'm I'm at the point like I, I watched the first three all in a row when I actually finally watched them through and I was like, do I let the like next episode on play for 20 seconds or do I actually click the button and like screw through and at a certain point I was just like, no, I'm just gonna let him play because I'm lazy. <laughs> and so I'm like, okay. Or like do the recap. I'm like, yes, I literally just saw this. Thank you. I did well, the title you should have known makes me worry it's her. Yeah, I'm <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I don't want to look into it. I hope I don't know anyone who's read it because I don't want some unintentional spoiler. Right. Uh, I don't want to spoil it either. I mean, I'm feeling like they are definitely leading toward it. Even the title undoing they undid her. Yeah. Um, yeah. And she's unraveled. It's like, you know, it's that kind of. I just want them to do it in a good way. We'll yeah. see. I feel like I either misread this or the information was wrong. But I, I when I first looked up what the show is about, because we agreed to watch it and I didn't know a ton about it. I read something that was like, this person's life starts to unravel on the eve of her book being published or something like that. The thing on IMDb too, I think. Okay, so I kept waiting for them to refer to this book about to be published. I was like, yeah, I thought you? I missed it. I was like, okay, because I, I- When is this going to happen? Right, because I thought I missed it and I was like, I was like, oh wait, maybe it was literally being published in the first episode and I just missed when they talked about it. But yeah. I guess, yeah. How interesting. So we don't even know when, yeah, when that, that's happening yet. <laughs> but that, but that's not necessarily, we don't know what that source was. So it could just, I will fully well, like. I want to say I'm like, not, let me just look it up. But I swear on IMDb, because I looked up something on IMDb, I, I swear that that's the description of the show on IMDb, which is usually. Maybe it's the description of the book and no one had any idea that they weren't going to actually follow through. I like use that little plot point that she has a book coming out. Yeah. Uh, it is It is actually still actively the description on IMDb as of right now. But that's a good point. Maybe maybe it's like a plot point in the book, but the fact that her book is coming out maybe isn't really of any consequence to the story. It's just right. Or or it's possible that these are user submitted. And so maybe that was something from, again, the, like yeah, or a source material. But also, question, I, I, one, I don't know how old he's at this point, but I love Donald Sutherland. Yeah. Great. Unexpected scene. delight to... Always a pleasure. <laughs> yeah, I had no idea he was in it. I was like, oh, great. Always a pleasure. He's a great dad. And, trying yeah. to give him money. And it looks, uh, next week looks interesting. I mean, he, you know. Oh, he's 85. Wow. Good yeah. for him. 
they're doing the, doing the thing, you know? Yeah, when they were when they were sitting next to each other by the piano, I was like, oh, this is a good casting moment because like they have a similar like facial structure. Yeah. It's like, oh yeah, I could see, I could see I that actually. Pieced it, but looking at it, it's like, oh, okay, I see this. Yeah. yeah, it's the chin. They have a very similar chin. I also think, and I, I never thought he was bad or anything before, but I also felt like uh, Hugh Grant is doing really well. Yeah, I, I think he's had a series of his last however many performances where I'm like, oh, you just, it feels like he's phoning it in. But this, I'm like, oh, you are sort of yeah, I just, back I, into... I don't have many opinions about him one way or the other. I don't have, I don't dislike him at all, but I, I'm not, he's not someone that I, I watch for necessarily. And in this, I, I think he's really tapping into the dramatic role really well. And, it, you know, I, I believe everything he's saying. He looks terrible. Like, gosh, he didn't... <laughs> oh, like, men, for some reason, like, if you were listening to this and you were a man that is over 25, please go to the grocery store and buy some moisturizer for your face and use it on a daily basis. Preferably one with sunscreen in it because your skin matters. We are allowed to age, you are not. That's how it works. Yeah. Our yeah. Bad. Yeah. Yeah. No, yes. skincare routine should not be limited to. So it's funny that you say that. Yes, I agree that he does not look great in this. However, the last few films I've seen him in, I'm like, oh, you are looking particularly melty. And this is the first time in a while that I was like, oh, you're starting to take care of yourself a little bit more. <laughs> I, I saw him in something, or he has some beauty boxing going on, because I saw him in something where recently, and I, I'm yes, trying to remember what it was. I don't think I've seen him in anything recently. Yeah, I saw him in something recently that now I- Now I'm scared thought, that he looks better. That I You should be. Better. Woof. And then and then in this I thought I agree with Jen and I was like, he's so yeah, he looks weathered. <laughs> but I yes. thought there's no getting around that. But I thought like, oh, you look better in this than I the last time I saw you. So when he was in Paddington 2, which yeah, is actually a truly delightful film. Like I heard that the Paddington movies are actually very good. They are so wholesome and delightful. And I want the character of Paddington slash Ben Wishaw to just read me bedtime stories every night. Um, but he play, he plays like a, a sort of washed up actor-y character. And he looked very melty. And then he was in The Gentleman last year, which is one of my least favorite films of last year. And it was terrible and racist. And he looked very melty like very, very melty. And so again, whatever has happened between then and filming The Undoing, yeah. I don't know if the other two were character choices or something like that, but I don't get the sense they were. But but this is Hugh Grant picking himself up after a bit of meltiness. So, wow. yeah, wow. That's, that's that's how bad we've, we've, you know, he did get at one point. Wow, he's not looking. I think my Nicole looks really wonderful as well. Oh yeah, Nicole looks flawless. Like I give her that. Yeah, and it's interesting because obviously she's had her share of work done and everything, but you know she hit a a point where it's kind of early mid nine or early mid two thousands, I guess, where you know it was unfortunate every time you saw her face look puffy and she looked all shiny, like made it like it was like oh no she's gone too far, and then she's kind of reversed that and stopped getting fillers or whatever it is she's doing. And just letting her, eat. and she's just, gosh, she's just gorgeous. I love her. And she, but in this, I don't know if it was the hair or what it was, but some shots and different things have been giving me little flashes to like 90s Nicole. <laughs> Cause we don't usually see her with this kind of hair. We usually I think see. it's, I truly think it's the hair because the yeah. hair did make me think, I was like, what? This is terrible. I was 
bothered by the hair, but only because I was like, it's so inconvenient. Put your hair up. Like you were just walking around. And I say this as someone with a mohawk, so I don't, long hair, I'm not a fan of because it requires too much maintenance. But there are so many times when her hair is just like loose around her head and it's sort of like in the shot a little bit and like over her face and and not in a necessarily dramatic way. It's more like not quite flyaways, but just, there are just loose hairs. And I'm just like, put your hair up. It's cold, it's winter, it's whatever. Like you're doing these things, like just put your hair, like you would not have it down. <laughs> and this is this is an argument I not an argument but this is a problem I have with almost any movie or show with a woman with long hair is 99.9% of the time their hair is down when any regular human being or any person, just person with long hair would have it up in the scenarios, right? It's like action sequences, especially anybody with long hair would put their hair up. It's often just totally, obviously we're on set, so they are being professionally done, but it's, it looks professionally done (laughs) often in a lot, I mean, not just in this, but in, in everything. To the point where it's just kind of like, gosh, you you really you go out and you just get your hair done every single day, don't you? Like, it's, in so many movies where it's like, hey, you just let it look a little more realistic. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. Without women, you know, people do their hair and it looks fantastic still in real life as well. But sometimes they just they go so over the top with it where it's just kind of like not believable anymore. <sighs> to be fair, I my hairstylist that I used to go to a while ago had a job for a while with a rich woman, like a CEO type woman, where she went to her house every single day and did her hair for her every wow. single. So it is a thing that rich people might do. Oh yeah, I mean, I worked for a number of years on the Kardashian show, and they, that was obviously they were doing it every day. But sure. I had you know blowouts every single. I mean, I just didn't realize that anyone. I guess if I had enough money, why wouldn't you have a makeup artist and hairstylist come to your house every day to do your hair and makeup? Actually, that sounds intrusive, but it just it feels. <laughs> You know. I think I think it depends, right? Because Matt and I both watch Housewives and Erica Jane's beauty, her glam squad is, they're, they're her basically her paid friends, right? Like these, these people become part of your life. So I think maybe there's a certain point where you just cross, you need the companionship. Yeah. And but that's a total tangent of like, her and, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I've noticed yeah. that, I guess. But, but you know, we're watching, we watch movies about like, you know, Nicole's character, sure, that could be, you know, maybe she makes enough money to do something like that. But when we watch other shows and movies where it's like, it's just supposed to be just some... <laughs> I did like that her that her dad was so rich and that it was believable that they wouldn't necessarily be able to afford fifty thousand dollars a year for the school, despite them both being doctors. Oh yeah. What you did or did not like? I did like that. Okay. Made it seem because yes, doctors make a good amount of money, but it's not like they're making millions of dollars a year in order to afford the real estate that they had. True. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I think there's a misconception people think. I mean, doctors make good money, but people think like, oh, you're a doctor. You must be just like, yeah, like a zillion. I mean, they, they make two or $300,000 a year. We're not talking about, you know, Bill right, Gates but, money. So, right. or lawyer money, right? Although I guess if you had two medical professionals and one, one, I mean, she's like in a private the- like therapeutic practice, you could probably charge a lot of money. I, get, I agree. I agree that it makes more sense that. So the fact that like $50,000 a year for tuition for a kid, but, but I was like, I'm not shocked at this because I know this is the thing. Totally. That's the thing is it's ridiculous. You know, no offense to anybody, but it feels ridiculous to me. However, it's, it's real. It happens. <laughs> you yeah. know, so it's, it's very real. Yeah. If you have too much money, then you come up with all these different weird ways to spend it. Right. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I know of people who, I mean, we all do, I'm sure, but spent not, maybe not that much, but a lot for the right preschool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like that where it's like, oh, woof. Like, <laughs> glorified daycare i mean yes you start learning a lot of you know very important things then but it you know it, uh, there is either a documentary or a docu-series about new york competitive early school 
system mm-hmm. stuff. And it's well, fascinating. Some list before you even pregnant. If oh yeah. There, it's just like, geez. You know, it determines the outcome of, it doesn't actually, but they feel that it determines the outcome for the rest of your life. And I say, this is a public school graduate. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, public school graduates. Yeah, I am the smartest person anybody knows. So it, it makes sense, you know, it's all. Yeah, and it, it costs you a lot less than $50,000 a year for every year of your young life. <laughs> I even attended a state school of college and did as cheaply as possible. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. yeah. But to each their own. But, but those are the moments that do make me a little like, it's, I guess there's a morbid curiosity and it does take me a little bit out of the, again, believability. But then there's also the side of like, okay, well, at least they're not, well, in this case, they are like, oh, the, the, of course the charity case was murdered. Um, but it, not every <laughs> not every character is sort of clawing their way into their, trying to claw their way into like their echelon of society. Right. It's all, they're all operating on this different playing field of gross, grotesque richness. <laughs> right. It's really just jealousy I'm speaking out of. <laughs> like, I, I would like to be able to spend $50,000 a year That's on. I'm like, honestly, like I talk like this and everything, but if I had the money, and I guess a child, I, you know, <laughs> who even knows what, what I would do? Yeah. So... <laughs> So I you know, stay I, tuned and find out when we all win the lottery. No, right. Like, all right, so this is in no way to be totally sh- shaming, you know, rich people for their decisions because I, I, you know, who can say how we'd all act? Well, I'm looking forward to the next few episodes, though I do feel like this is one of those shows where it, it would just take one episode in the middle for me to be like, peace. Yeah. Do we it's know, gone too far. It, do we know how many episodes this is? is there are one? six. Six. Okay. I love a six part miniseries. I gotta tell you, like, I, I think sometimes there are certain shows that have suffered from, oh, we gotta be 10 episodes or we gotta be. And I, I don't know, six feels like a really effective <laughs> length, at least for some other things I've seen, but it just, eight sometimes is good too. But I, I like a show that, and maybe, who knows, maybe HBO just didn't greenlight it for more. Maybe they would have done more if they could, but I can respect them. Hey, we're going to do like this TV series, but but we don't need this many episodes and we're going to contain it to what we need. And, you know, I think there's a, a world here where a lot of times, because we want to milk, milk the cow for more than it's worth, we extend things much further than we need to go. Yeah, I think six usually indicates a decent amount of self-awareness in terms of how much a story needs or doesn't need. But, but I think it, de- it just depends on the show, right? Like Queen, I, I thought Queen's Gambit was great at seven, but you thought maybe one of the episodes could have, we could have done without. And I think it, you really wanted to take a, a knife to it. Yes, you could have chopped a couple bits of it. But I think, again, it's just the good thing about, you know, an HBO or a Netflix or a whoever is that there is this flexibility. There's less pressure to be like, you have to extend it to be a full season. You have to do whatever. It's just like, yeah, you need six episodes. Okay, fine. Do six episodes. You want to make it eight? All right, go ahead. Like, just do whatever you need to do. <laughs> Right. Yeah. And then, and there's, you know, sometimes that works in our favor and other times it doesn't, the Game of Thrones, but sometimes, sometimes it really does work in our favor, you know, where, you know, you let the actual artists kind of, dic- you know, dictate somewhat what, what they, what time they need to tell the story. Uh, yeah. But when you see, you have some who are trying to exit the story sooner than they need to, <laughs> I guess if we're putting it lightly, it can work against us. So. Indeed. All right. Well, thank you both. We will we will continue. It's nice to have these sort of uh, weekly weekly shows to keep up with. We'll see how we feel towards these because it could change week to week. Never know. Never know. No, I do hope it's good. It's just it's it, but as a mystery, it all just yeah, falls it, to the strength gonna... of actual mystery. So right. Yeah. Right now, it's still mysterious and interesting. One wrong turn, and we could not care at all.
Yeah. yeah. And, and I think this is one of those shows where I'm like, yeah, I'm willing to tip like I, with big little eyes because it, I just, the mystery didn't interest me yeah. at that point. It's a show I was willing to tap out of. And a lot of the times I feel like I'll like try and stick with the show more than I should uh, in order to sort of seek a resolution. But this, this, I'm like, no, I get the feeling I, I if it takes a wrong turn, I, no matter what the resolution is, I won't like it. So <laughs> why take more time on it? There's mystery. I can't think of one that, that comes to mind, but where, I wasn't enjoying it. Everyone's like, oh, but you got to get, the ending is so good and blah, blah, whatever. I'm like, yeah, but if I don't enjoy the journey to get there, then like, I'm not going to care about the ending. And even if it was like, even if it was a smartly done ending, it doesn't mean I'm going to care more. And I don't, you know, so I'd rather have the journey to get there be something that's really entertaining. And then the ending be something that I kind of wish was better than the opposite, you know? It reminds me of Westworld. Everyone's like, oh, you should keep going. You should keep watching it. And I'm like, but I don't like the characters and I don't like the premise. I'm not going to enjoy whatever happens. That is valid. This is one where I'm like, I don't like the characters. I don't like the setting, but I like mystery. Yeah, what's interesting is, yeah, the, with, oh, you mean for this one? I thought you were saying for Westworld. No, I like, I like Westworld, but I agree that it is falling apart and I could see very early on, like whether, you know, mine. season one, even it not necessarily. Westworld, it was a stakes thing for me where, and it, it doesn't make sense because I, I Wally is my favorite Pixar film, but where it's like, <laughs> I'm just like with these artificial, you know, these people that aren't real, I'm kind of like, I don't really care what happens to them. And then you see when some die, they just get respawned. And so I don't really, I'm not like worried about that. And I know it transcends and they get more, but I just, I had a hard time with that. Yeah. There were, there were greater mysteries in the first few seasons of Westworld that I found intriguing that they are serious. They seriously struggled to follow up with, but yeah, we are, we are digressing. We are digressing. I know. I've heard it. Kind of, I just remember hearing them on the Westworld panel the people who write it talk about how they didn't know what was going to happen next and I was like Ugh, yeah I hate mysteries like that uh, okay because they yeah I remember um Walking Dead is the same thing we're like hey, we have no plans of ending we don't have any ideas for an ending and I was like well I'm not going to watch the show because <laughs> you don't know where you're going so like why am I going to be why am I going to invest no, like Evan was Evan Rachel was talking about oh and sometimes we read them and I'm like wow how'd you get there and they're like yeah we didn't know until this morning either blah and I'm like <laughs> I do wonder, I, I, I agree, like you, sh I want you to have, I think the strongest shows have a strong vision for where they're going and how, and it doesn't mean you have to know exactly how you're going to get there, but you, it's helpful if you know where you're going. I do wonder sometimes if those panels though, it's like, they can't say. Yeah, I, ho I hope they can't say, and then yeah. this comes off more blase than it is. Um, right. right. But for me, I'm not going to invest all of my life, because you know, when we like something, we like something. Right. I'm like, I'm not going to invest all of my time and effort into this thing. When in reality, most people just watch things occasionally and enjoy it for the hour that it's on TV and then move forward. The other thing is I feel like people always expect there, be some, there to be some sort of secret sauce answer, right? Or like, oh, you know, how did you get to this? What was your revelatory moment? This and that. And, and sometimes I do think the answer is like, we didn't know until we got there. Right. That doesn't mean that they didn't spend hours in the writer's room actually getting there, you know, discussing it. But, but I don't feel like that's a satisfactory answer to the people who are asking the questions and so they just sort of choose this route of, sort of flippant answers i agree with that that is our episode thank you so much for joining there are no footnotes this week because we actually covered everything live in the episode and we're able to look up all of the stuff that we were interested in if you enjoyed this episode we would love it if you could leave us a rating or a review or even consider subscribing thanks so much